0: You're listening to Just Ask the Question, adventures and reporting with your host, Brian Karam.
1: Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and with me today is Norm Ornstein, a fellow nerd avenger with the... Uh, Mary Trump but he's also an American political scientist and emeritus scholar at the American Enterprise Institute which is a Washington DC think tank and he's also co-author of It's Even Worse Than It Looks How the American Constitutional System Collided with the New Politics of Extremism boy there's a mouthful <laughs> that's that's a yeah. that's a hell of a way to describe politics anyway Norm thanks for joining me today we're going to be talking a little bit about uh the pre- the problems of the press in 2024. So we're going to take a quick break to pay the bills. And when we come back, we'll cue it up. Stick around. We'll be
0: right back.
1: Hi, we're back, it is Just Asked the Question, and I am your host, Brian Karam. Anyway, thanks for joining me, and I, I'm particularly impressed with uh, some of the words you had to say recently about the American press, and was wondering if, I'll, I'll just open up the floor with that and let you elaborate as to your criticisms of the press in
2: 2024. What are we doing wrong? So I, I must say, uh, Brian, uh, you know uh, this is not new to me, this uh, kind of criticism. Uh, and in that book, It's Even Worse Than It Looks, which goes back to 2012, um, there's a heavy criticism of the press back then for false equivalence, uh, for uh, uh, basically uh, whitewashing the reality of American politics. Uh, and the sort of money quote back then was, a balanced treatment of an unbalanced phenomenon distorts reality. Uh, but there was a lot more than that but it's much worse now. And what really triggered my more recent comments is I watched enough cable news. I try not to watch a lot, um, but I dip in and out. And you know, frankly, one of the things is that when my uh, wife comes into the room where I am, she turns on the news. It's sort of reflexive for her. And so I'm an inadvertent uh, listener. But what I've seen Um, which fits previous patterns, is that right now, the coverage of politics is wall-to-wall horse race. Um, And almost every discussion, whether it's the Sunday talk shows like Meet the Press or just the regular cable news roundtables, it's all about who's up and who's down and who's dropped out and why, and what the polls have shown about the different candidates. And the uh, and this is true in major newspapers as well and, yeah. and magazines. This is what political journalists are comfortable with. They've done it for decades. They've got uh, their pollsters. They have on CNN, John King, who can analyze the data, and Steve Kornacki on MSNBC. And it's neutral in a way because you're not saying one party has done horrible things or even one individual has done horrible things you're doing the same kind of analysis that uh many of us have watched uh over the last few weeks in NFL playoffs uh yes. and it's uh you know very little different uh, but it's pernicious and uh dangerous at this point and it's dangerous for two main reasons. One is, in the process of doing this, they are once again normalizing Donald Trump, because this is about Trump is up, and it's not about Trump is a, a clear and present and immediate danger to American democracy. And every once in a while, in the process of dealing with the horse race, you'll see something a little bit different, I happened to catch Kristen Welker and meet the press um, interviewing uh, Chris Sununu, uh, you know, obviously, right right before the New Hampshire primary and why. And she was asking him why he had endorsed Trump. It started with her talking about commendably uh, Trump's lawsuit and now statements every day on why a president should have absolute immunity no matter what it is, even if that president crosses the line. And Sununu said, well, that's terrible and obviously it can't stand and it's deeply dangerous. And then he said, but of course I'd vote for Donald Trump and uh, I'd vote for him because uh, Joe Biden's a catastrophe. And she pushed him once or twice, but then as almost always is the case with these interviews, she dropped it and moved on. Most of the things, uh, including you know, banner headlines in the Washington Post uh, after uh, uh, DeSantis dropped out. DeSantis drops out, endorses Trump. None of this is saying uh, what a danger this is. And, uh, you know, the, the second reason is that the more there's coverage of the horse race, the less there is a focus on what really matters, which is the stakes of this election. Yeah. And if I one thing with uh, the electronic versions of our news, whether it's cable or broadcast, I would love to see CNN, for example, do a series called "The Stakes," and in that series. It would be, what would happen in a second Biden term? What would happen in a Trump term to Ukraine, Taiwan, NATO? What would happen to immigrants? What would happen to dissenters? What would happen to the border and Social Security and Medicare and the safety net and abortion? and more judges, and the operations of the executive branch, the federal employees, if there were a Schedule F, and the core of our uh, government uh, bureaucracy was replaced with a spoil system and a group of flunkies to Donald Trump. Um, you know, what would happen on the uh, at the Defense Department, the State Department, at all of these different places, because that's what matters more now than ever. We're not talking about you elect one person as opposed to the other, and there would be a marginal change in our politics.
1: Right. Well, let's. It, you hit on a couple of things there, and that's a lot to unpack. And yeah. now you've given me now you've given me a, a, an idea for a column this week. On, okay. on, on the stakes, and that's a great way to put it. But why is it that you think that we concentrate? solely on the horse race aspect of politics when there is obviously greater nuance to it this race then i mean i'm going to come out and say it point but you know as bluntly as i can i think this is the election that makes or breaks the united states so yeah why why is it uh that we're concentrating on the shallow and and the, the meaningless in this election
2: yeah And I would take it even further. It's the election that will make or break the United States will also make or break the free press, Uh, the people who Trump has called uh, the enemy of the people. So, uh, yeah, well, you know, uh, all of us will end up in some of these Stephen Miller, Steve Bannon concentration camps. Uh, (laughs) But uh, so multiple reasons. I mean, one is it's easy they've done it they know how to do it it's easy to do and they think it captures interest cuz elections are like the super bowl and uh you know sports fans people who pay any attention to the news you're you know the sports pages now are filled with um predictions over what will happen in the two championship games next week uh, before we get to the Super Bowl and analyzing the strengths and weaknesses of the different teams. Uh, so it's easy. That's one reason. But the broader, deeper, and more troubling set of reasons have to do with why for decades, our press has failed us and failed us because, They are, one, paranoid about being attacked as having a liberal bias, uh, and that goes back many decades. So they bend over backwards to show that they don't, which means they actually show a different kind of... The second reason is that journalists have been trained, whether it's in journalism schools or on the job, that... Your uh, role is to point out both sides of a story. And for television journalists, I think the norm has been that- Those are mutually
1: exclusive terms, television journalist. I I, I go ahead.
2: Television quote unquote news. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, That This has been true with networks long before uh, cable came to dominate news coverage that uh, the analogy that's baked in is it's like the law and viewers are like a jury. And what do you do in a trial? You have a lawyer for one side against a lawyer for the other side and the table news network is the judge and uh, you report both sides and then you let the voters decide what is truth. But of course, it's not like the law and it's not like a trial. And, you know, to pick one obvious example, for decades, we would have debates on news shows, whether it was the network Sunday shows or their own news shows or on cable on climate change. And it would be a climate denier against a scientist who is a climate scientist. Now, we know that the scientific community is basically 99% climate change is real, human-caused, and dangerous, and 1%, nah, it's no big deal, and it's happened before in history, and it's not anything real. And most of those have gotten significant financing from fossil fuel companies and uh, the Koch brothers, among others. (laughs) But the point there is, if you don't follow this stuff, and you were watching this even casually, you would think that it was an evenly split debate over whether climate change is yeah, real.
1: And it's not. And
2: so this model is a fallacious and dangerous model.
1: Uh, well, let me, if you know, if I know, yeah. to ask this question, okay. because this is the one that always, everything I've heard you say, it's easy, ratings, uh, it's failed for decades, we're paranoid to bias, we're trained in our roles, all of this to me, you said one thing it's ratings it's money and to me correct me if i'm wrong because as i see it it's not that we're it's that we're not trained we can't decide we we believe that vetted factual information is equal if there's a if there's a a guy saying climate change is not real and and there's a guy saying climate change is real we put them both on because we don't know anything better ourselves And that to me is, and and this is the argument I always make is that it's, it boils down to the fact that there are large companies that run most of uh, the media, 95% of what you see reader here, down to what half a dozen companies, they're not biased to the left or to the right, they're biased to where the money is. And if we're uneducated, that's fine with them as long as we buy what they're giving. It, It bothers me being in the White House press room and listening to some of the reporters' questions and going, you don't even know what's happened in the last five years. What the hell are you asking this question for? This is nonsense. That, uh, does, do you think that that is real, that, that, that uh, market demand has created any
2: of this? Well, certainly market demand has created some of it. It's also market demand that created and made prosperous Fox News that mm-hmm. you can uh, actually uh, add to your ratings if you take on a complete bias. But for those right. we call mainstream journalists, certainly ratings are a part of it. But I think there's another part of it. There, The core of training there is uh, your objective. And that's the identity, your objective. You're not uh, slanting your stories. You're not biased. But that makes you biased in a different way if you bend over backwards to avoid... Uh, attacks of bias. So, you know, stories that uh, whitewash what Trump has said, or say an alleged statement or alleged attack when it's actually real and it's right there, uh, are ways of trying to avoid uh, attacks of bias. Uh, You know, stories uh, like uh, I've seen um, Jake Sherman Who's a pretty good Capitol Hill reporter? I will, right. you know, I don't want to criticize his uh talents and his ability. But stories lately have been Congress has failed us. Uh Congress is uh not funding Ukraine. It's not Congress that's failing us, it's the Republicans in the House that are failing us. <laughs> but if you say it's Congress, then you're not gonna get attacked by Republicans for just blaming them. And that's a problem, and that's a broader problem. I say in Congress, it's a particular problem because the congressional reporters, the ones who've been there for a substantial amount of time, have built up friendships and relationships and access points
1: with- Access journalism, yeah.
2: With Republicans, and if you go after them, you lose your friendships, and you lose your access, and then you may lose your job. So there is a bias built in there see, that I see played out over and over again.
1: That's money, though. That again, the root yeah. cause there is money. You you don't have yeah. the courage, because look, when I was in in journalism school, I got it at the University of Missouri, the only school that matters when it comes to journalism. Yeah. Our our university, that at least that's what we were taught. Anyway, <laughs> but the thing was, it, it was um vetted factual information, wherever the story leads you, wherever the facts lead you. And so I've had discussions with young reporters who say, you know, it's all of Congress. I go, factually, is that accurate? Is it all of Congress that is moving, you know, in in a monolithic power structure and plowing, you know, it down is, is it all of Congress or who is it specifically? Be specific. That's specific vetted facts. And the vetted factual information there shows you that in fact, it's the right wing nuts in in the and and I'm sorry I use that term loosely. Uh, okay, the crazies, <laughs> those who care more about their own greed and power. And again, behind all of this, all I see is the move towards money and and grabbing as much power as you can. And I think that's a problem in journalism. Obviously, it's a problem. Now that problem is in all of Congress, but it's specifically in the 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 right wing right now i mean they're the ones blocking everything from and and look it it, it seems disingenuous to me for anyone in the republican party to talk about problems along the us mexican border because those are have been going on for well, 40 some odd years and they've never wanted to solve it they only want to use it as a a cudgel to beat the democrats over the head they don't want to solve the problem i, I mean It was it was the Speaker of the House who came out on the sticks last week and said, we're not going to solve this problem. (laughs) We there's no comprehensive immigration policy. And yet in the the other corner of his mouth, he's saying we have to talk about that first before we talk about Ukraine. So to me, it still all boils down to money. And I think we hire the stupidest, least uh, intelligent people and pay them the least amount of money to be reporters. But that's
2: just me. (laughs) It's it's money and it's human nature. Uh, You want to keep your relationships. But at the same time, you know, the New York Times has uh, a headline after the Speaker of the House didn't just say we don't want to solve this problem. It was as long as Joe Biden is president, we're not going to do this. And this was after the Senate Republicans and Democrats had uh, worked very hard to try and come up with a deal. That required Biden and uh, his allies to swallow hard with some of the things involving the border in order to get money for Ukraine. And basically, uh, Mike Johnson slammed the door on that. The Times yeah. writes a headline that basically said Biden's problems uh, getting a border deal, you know, blaming it. And that that's another uh, consequence of all of this, because it's not just that we know what the reality is. It is if you don't point out who is making the problem, then they're going to keep it. doing it. Yeah. There is no accountability, and that's what um, a press corps uh, and a free press is supposed to do. I want to go back to you know another point you, that you made, which I think is a really important one. Whenever we do debates of candidates, um, who does the questions? The journalists. Yeah. And what do we know when the journalists are asking questions during debates? That their knowledge base is uh, paper thin. And so you (laughs) ask a question uh, about the environment, or you ask a question uh, about uh, NATO, or you ask a question uh, about uh, uh, Social Security, and you're—hold on a second. And you're never going to get a follow-up question after a response that clearly is utterly inac- uh, inadequate, or, or, or because kind of they bullshit? don't know enough to ask those second questions. And I begged over and over. In, in, what's interesting is when you see average people, or even you know, high school kids, ask questions. They're often better at holding politicians accountable than the journalists, especially these anchors. <laughs> you know, who are put up there? There it's money again. You know, a cable show or a network hosts a debate. Who do they put up there? They yeah. put up their marquee figures because they want to get them more attention and publicity and credibility. But it, you know, it makes for uh, a lack of accountability. And then you get these town halls on cable, which are just absolutely ridiculous. So to
1: me, I see that that's an indication, you know, it used to be that you had to have 10 or 15 years of experience to be a White House reporter. Now they just put anybody straight out of school in there with no experience. For example, when I first walked into the White House briefing room in 1985, for the first time, the first person I met was Helen Thomas. She had the knowledge and she had the, and and a lot of, you know, road under her. And the second person she introduced me to was Sam Donaldson. And Sam told me something. He said, "Look, Brian, and you know he made a lot of jokes that I won't go into at this point because I've made a million times. But he said, if you look at that first row in the in the briefing room, those seven seats, there's 200 years of experience there. Listen to every one of them. And if you look at that front row today in that press room, you're lucky if there's 35, 40 years of combined experience. Yep. Yeah. And that to me is the is the and I, I want to quote. Uh, this is a quote from 19." 33, and it's from H.L. Mencken, and he's talking about reporters, and he says, they print balderdash because they don't know how to get anything better, perhaps in many cases because they don't know that anything better exists. Drenched with propaganda at home, they're quite content to take more propaganda from Washington. It's not that they are dishonest, but they are stupid, and in being stupid, a coward. The resourcefulness, enterprise, and bellicosity that the job demands are simply not in them. Is you, you do you find that
2: accurate for today? Oh, indeed it is, and I have to say, you know, whenever I've watched the briefings, I just cringe. Oh, I do the too. Questions are so embarrassing and so dumb, and you know, the criticism of Biden for not holding regular press conferences. I don't buy because he'd be crazy to hold regular press conferences because you get nothing out of them. There are far better ways to uh, actually even to reach a public and have some accountability. But quality of the the White House. I'm
1: sorry. Yeah, Uh, I agree. The quality. And I'm a member of the White House press corps and I agree with you. I mean, I was told I was told one day I said, listen, you want to have me in these meetings with him more often because he answers me when I ask him a question and they go that's exactly why we don't want you in there yeah. so <laughs> it's, it's, it's yeah I don't think that I think it's it's both sides I and I'm not trying to be the both sides guy but yeah. I I think there are better ways for the president the president is determined there are better ways to get his message out and I don't blame him for not want to interact with many of the reporters I don't want to interact with many yeah. of them but I do think there's a time and a place for good questions and there are still I, I'd say there's a handful of good reporters in there, but because of the access journalism, if they wanna be in the pool, if they wanna get access, they wanna see it, they it it's almost it, 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 it's almost in the back of your mind that you do it. It it's almost subconsciously that you do yeah. it if you have the experience. Now, if you don't and you're just a moron. You're just a moron and they take advantage of you that way. But your point is taken. I, I, I cringe. I'm in those meetings. I'm in that briefing room yeah. and I cringe and I just go, what the, you know, I, I've often heard there's no such thing as a stupid question, but boy,
2: <laughs> I, well, I I may have to change my mind on that. <laughs> and there are a lot of stupid questioners too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes.
1: Uh, yeah. Don't get me started. So, listen, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, I'd like to talk about solutions to this problem, if you have any, and where you think we can go. So stick around. Uh, This is Just Ask the Question with Norm Ornstein, and we'll be right back.
0: Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, JATQ Podcast. That's JATQ Podcast.
1: Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Kieran. With me is Norm Ornstein. And Norm and I were talking about oh, the wonders of the press <laughs> when we took a short break. And we're back. And I guess, Norm, I, the question to ask here, since this is Just Ask And by the way, you know I talked about Helen Thomas earlier. The reason why this podcast is called Just Ask the Question is because of Helen. One of the very first pieces of advice she gave me when I walked in the briefing room, she said, don't be afraid to ask your question. Just ask it. it it's a, then they cannot deny that the issue has been brought up and they cannot deny that they've been asked. They their their answers may be stupid. they may be non-existent, but the issue is before them. And she made me want to try and research things before I went. I mean, I yeah. put in a lot of research and a lot of time into questions um, going into and it doesn't seem like we do that much anymore. Um, So I I guess the question is,
2: what do we do to change it? What do you recommend? So, uh, you know, a large part of this is a change in attitude and approach that has to come from the top down, and that means the top editors and publishers and owners of these major uh, outlets. And I'm getting even more nervous. I watched the Washington Post. I was thrilled when Jeff Bezos bought the Post because I thought what clearly we need with our major news sources, and these are not just sources in and of themselves, they're the guideposts that other uh, journalistic outlets use to go forward, the Times and the Post, uh, and there are a few others as well, uh, and I thought, you know, Bezos had made it clear that this was something he was doing as a larger public service, but now it's gone back to the bottom line. Gets back to what you said before: the money. He's treating this just like any other business that he has. The Post has been losing something like a hundred million dollars in the last year. That's like you or me uh, having a five dollar bill drop out of our wallets uh, <laughs> or our pockets and you know uh, it's just too bad, or you know the price of one latte. Um, but they've just stripped the place of some of their better journalists. Uh, their goal now is not to produce the best product imaginable um, and you know, abide by their slogan, Democracy dies in darkness it's to get back to profitability and given the economics of journalism now that's not going to work very well mm-hmm. without as we've seen with so many local papers purchased by Alden Capital um where you strip them down into meaninglessness um just they owned to 500 papers yeah. yeah and now you know they sold the Baltimore Sun to Sinclair. Billionaire, uh, who's run Sinclair, and it's pretty clear what's going to happen there as well. Uh, so, you know, it's an appeal uh, to the, their, their better angels, which is not worth Non-existence. No. The second thing that's happened, though, Brian, and it's also related to the bottom line, is that for a lot of these major outlets... They have got rid of a lot of their less visible infrastructure, and that includes copy the editors. editors who, uh, yeah, the copy editors, the second-level editors, the ones who write the headlines. And a good part of what I'm seeing is you'll see a news story that may have a little bit of nuance to it, but the headline is distorted, both sides. Absolutely. Of, and... Uh, I had
1: that personally well, happen to me recently. It, it, it's, it's, the, and what you say, and I don't think, and, and what you, what you're talking about now is nuanced, but it is yeah. so important to understand for the day, for the reader, the viewer, the listener. If you don't, you know, a journalist is not a blogger to be, you know, and they have, they have people now writing stories and putting them straight online with almost no copy editing at all. And then they'll call, go back later if they if they get in trouble and change something. But what we went through when I first became a reporter, if I brought in a story, it went to a copy editor first, and that was strictly for spelling, AP style, and, and facts. Then the nuance was for the news editor. Did you get this? Did you get that? Is this an opinion? Is that? Then the city editor would go through for a third look at it and go, all right, I've read it. Uh, this has to be answered. This has to be answered before yeah. we can put it out there. Three levels that we would go through at least. Then the headline writer, and then at the end of the day, the exe- you know, the the uh, after the city editor, be the managing editor, or the executive editor, and would go before, you know, and sometimes would cruise through that newsroom. You'd have four or five levels sometimes that you would go through for, especially for important news stories. Well, we don't do important news stories anymore. There's very little investigative journalism left. And what you're talking about is a need for investment in the product. It's like watching people buy a great car and take the engine out and then try to sell it for
2: more money. And, you know, a couple of things have happened there. Uh, One is, I think, outlets have lost whatever backbone they had. You know, it's no longer without fear or favor. It's trying to make sure that you don't alienate people too much and where they're going to attack you and crap all over you. It's also, though, the modern world. You know, I remember, as you do, an era where they would take the time to go through these various layers and make sure that they had the story right. Now it's uh, it's got to go up on the web immediately, uh, because if we don't put it up on the web immediately, somebody else will do that. Now, that also, I mean, there's a part of that that goes way back. I remember when NBC News did full-page ads in major newspapers that cost plenty of money, patting themselves on the back because they had gotten a scoop about a vice presidential nominee 12 seconds before anybody else did, (laughs) as if that matters matters. for anything. Um, But now... Sloppiness takes over because speed matters more than accuracy, but it's also, uh, you know, I used to have a great deal of respect for the AP. Uh, The AP really was one of the gold standard elements of our news, and they understood their responsibility because they were going to be uh, all over the world and other outlets were going to use them as that gold standard. Now they're running stories that are cringeworthy. They're running headlines and tweets. And because, you know, now you have to tweet out the stuff so that people yeah. will pay attention to it. And, uh, that's distorted the news and reality as well. But it's also, you know, I, I just was reading about, um, what CNN is going through now and what they're trying to do to shape themselves. And they've hired this new CEO, Mark Thompson, who has a, you know, uh, quite a career of accomplishments, most recently at the New York times as publisher. Um, and he was having a, a discussion with their team about what they wanted to do. And it was, we've got to, you know, uh, be fair to everybody, put them all out there. When Donald Trump uh, gives a statement or does a rally, we should be covering it because that's what we do. We cover everything. And he got pushback from inside and they had apparently a civil debate about it. But it's that kind of mindset because it's not that you're Putting on He was saying Donald- that they
1: need to do that, or he was pushing no. back against that? Okay.
2: No, he was saying that they need to do that, and he got pushback from people outside. Okay. But, uh, you know, it's not like, all right, we're going to show... And what they did uh, last week, which sort of took me back uh, uh, the, almost a nightmare to 2016, was uh, after Iowa, and the results were in, they had the empty microphone up for a while... So CNN has the picture of the empty microphone waiting there for Trump to come out, um, which again, basically sends a signal. This is the important thing and it's official. And it would be one thing, and this is true what you see with these town hall meetings as well. If you had a constant chyron running saying, this is a lie, this is absolutely inaccurate, here's the reality, I could stomach that even though um i think it's still giving more legitimacy than um a figure who's a narcissistic sociopath deserves but <laughs> they don't do that don't and miss they words. Let them get away with it well they let them get away with it yes. and again it's partly because the reporters don't know enough to keep asking or because they just get beaten down and the uh the people spewing the lies the political figures who do know that if they just keep repeating their talking points, if they keep uh, evading a a response, that at some point the interviewer is going to get tired of it and move on and they get away with it. And that, of course, is what happened with Chris Sununu. uh, Right. uh, So what's the the solution? Do you have one? So we have to, at, at one, you know, probably two things. First is we have to just keep pounding away at every editor, producer, senior figure, and reporter that we know, embarrassing them, including in public, when they uh, do really bad things, uh, and trying to use the pressure of peers to move them in a better direction. I wish I could say that that was uh, really effective, but so far I haven't seen much of it, although there are more- are
1: better executives.
2: Yeah. Many of the executives now who are pushing back uh, yeah. than before. I mean, for a long time, I felt kind of lonely out there. I had Jay Rosen at NYU, who's long been, you know, a champion of trying to change the mindset of journalists. Jim Fallows has just been terrific on this. And um, we had John Harwood and um, we've had Jill Lawrence and we've had, you know, several others who have. Uh, Understood this? Uh, yeah. Some you, of them. That's less lonely than I've felt in yeah. the White House briefing. Some, or some briefing. of them, of course, fired from their jobs. Yeah, or part of the consequence of that. The second thing is we've got to build better organizations, different ones that handle this the right way, and hope that they will be funded well enough and uh, and uh, talented enough that people begin to go there to get uh the real uh reality of what's out there which is what news is supposed to do
1: i'll go and i'll go one further this is my my big i I go back to ben bagdickian who said if you want real diversity of reporting you have to have diversity of ownership so i say bust up the media monopolies uh get more reporters out in the field smaller news organizations that are much better at covering i think you got to build it from a local uh, instead of national down, local up. It's got to be community. That's the backbone of, of journalism. And I remember one time, I you know I, I ran uh, newspapers for many years and I had a reporter come to me one time and say, you know, I, I heard my city editor make a uh, an assignment and the reporter came over and said, well, this is what I think. And I walked over and said, I don't care what you think. I barely care what I think. What do you know? Get out and find the vetted factual information. I think we need oh. more people the problem has been in the past that many of the top executives in journalism come from sales and not from yeah. journalism and yeah. so that there's a, a, a an overwhelming effort to bend over to the you know to the sacred cows as we used to call them um and you know advertisers and i i just think that that doesn't work at some point in time we've got to become aware of the fact that we're not fulfilling our our role in society and i i thank you for for pointing it out. I'm um, gonna I, I take another short break here and then we'll come back with a few concluding thoughts. And I so stick around, we'll be right back.
0: Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you, and we need your help. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show. To help support us by becoming a member on Patreon, for the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve.
1: Hi, we are back. It is Just Asked the Question. I am your host, Brian Kerman. With me is the fantastic... A fellow nerd avenger, Norm Ornstein. Norm, I, I always enjoy you on when we're all together on the on the nerdcasts because yeah. you make more sense than the rest of us. But I yeah, I guess that I'd like to close with this. Are you hopeful for journalism in the future, or do you think that we're gonna have I mean you've said that this is the make or break election for the free press.
2: Where do you see us a year from now? I am more nervous than hopeful, Brian. There's, there are some things to be hopeful for. There are green shoots out there, uh, and that includes you know, ProPublica, for example, which has just done some terrific investigative work. We have some outlets, national ones, like the New Republic, now really uh, uh, doing, I think, well uh, under uh, Mike Tomaski. Um, we're seeing... Uh, I think, at least a little bit more recognition uh, by some of our major journalist friends um, about how important it is to focus on what the stakes are. But having said that, all of the pathologies that we've talked about throughout this broadcast, and that includes the enormous commercial pressures uh, that almost every outlet is facing, very few are flush right now, Um, You know, newspapers are struggling, uh, even the uh, top ones. um, Cable news is in trouble. Um, Networks are basically cutting way back on news. Uh, uh, It's no longer, as it was for many years, the flagship uh, for them. It's kind of a burden. Uh, And the mindset uh, you know, that I think it's another thing that journalists are trained in. It's never complain, never explain. Well, now it's complain and bitch, but you don't back down. When you do something wrong or you do something stupid, um, you uh, double down. And uh, so uh, we got a lot of work to do.
1: So a uh, uh, last question for you. Do you think Donald Trump gets reelected?
2: Uh I, I will tell you if it's a two-man race, if it's Biden Trump, I'm pretty confident Biden wins. In the end, I think Trump gets unmasked enough that he scares enough voters. What really worries me is the pernicious third-party efforts, starting with uh, No Labels, and but then you know including Jill Stein and Robert Kennedy Jr. and uh, and even Cornell West. Uh, You know, to win this election, Biden needs an energized base, and he needs uh, those maybe 250,000 suburban college-educated Republicans and independents in the seven states that matter who are not thrilled with Biden, but despise Trump. And if it's binary, I think they still swallow hard and vote for Biden. If they have an option, you know, a uh, a Joe Manchin, a Larry Hogan, um it's going to be easy too easy to rationalize that you don't have to vote for either of these two people you don't like much. Um and that could make the difference. It can make a difference in enough states and now we see, I mean what really scares me about no labels is now they're talking about how, well, if the election goes to the House, maybe we can get a coalition government. And, you know, if they peel off uh, even a couple of electoral votes, um, you know, the uh, individual district in Maine or Nebraska um, uh, for uh, the, that enables Trump to win, Yeah, if uh, they somehow manage to win a state, we know what happens if the election goes to the House. They vote by state. The Republicans will have a majority of state delegations. It's a way to elect Trump. So there are too many variables out there that go beyond whether it's Biden versus Trump that leave me very nervous.
1: It leaves me very nervous, but I'm still not convinced that Donald Trump's going to be on the ballot come November for a variety of different reasons. I've yet to see uh, it It and for them to wrap up this. You know, we're talking now on the eve of New Hampshire, and he's only got one opponent, that just leaves. I know he feels com- That would make him feel comfortable. But to me, I find it laughable because you wrap up that nomination process so early. There is just so much room, so much oxygen left in the room for things to happen. And Donald Trump is volatile. <laughs> That's so I. And I don't know if he dodges 91. Uh, you know, different uh, yeah. felony charges in four different jurisdictions. He ain't Neo in the Matrix. So, uh,
2: no, nope. so, and uh, you know, if he's in jail, uh, we will all feel a little bit more comfortable, uh, because uh, that's where he belongs. Yes, he for the is. rest
1: of his life, <laughs> that's yep. exactly where he belongs. Yep. Yep. Well, listen, uh, Norm, I appreciate you joining us, and I'd love to have you back to talk more as we get closer Thanks. to the uh, election. Uh, and the name of this show is called, oh, well, wait a minute, I'll let you plug anything you want before we take off.
2: Uh, I do a podcast as well, uh, called Words Matter with uh the wonderful physician and all round uh knowledgeable person, Kavita Patel, uh on the DSR network. But I will be delighted uh, to come back and uh, we'll see if you can just ask another question. Oh, we'll try. <laughs>
1: it's called Just Ask a Question. We want to thank our our viewers and our listeners. We're number two in uh independent uh presidential podcasts and number three in politics. So uh, thanks for joining us and we'll catch you next time.